Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we're going to continue our conversation with a very successful woman who is a terrific business developer, thought leader, coach, podcaster, and an inspiration. And she will be coming back to talk with us more about her transformative methodologies to help us be our best selves. It promises to continue to be a great conversation. And it is my pleasure to welcome Karen Briscoe back to the show. Karen is the creator of the transformative five-minute success concept. Her books, Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, Secrets of a Top Agent Revealed, and Commit to Get Leads, a 66-Day Challenge, both offer a combination of information and inspiration delivered through memorable stories. The daily format with takeaways propels one to achieve success at a higher level in business and in life. Topics include Commit to Get Leads, Consult to Sell, Connect to Build and Grow, Success Thinking, Activities, and Vision, which all lead to the sweet spot of success. Karen is also the host of the 5-Minute Success Podcast, which is ranked number one on Overcast as most recommended in the business category. The show is an amazing array of guests who achieve success at a high level. She is also a frequent guest on other podcasts that focus on entrepreneurial success and motivation, as well as real estate-related topics. She speaks on a national and local level on the best of five-minute success. She has also completed the John Maxwell Team Certification Program for coaching, speaking, and training. It is an honor to welcome Karen Briscoe back to the show. Well, thank you. I love the idea of the paradigm shift and lots of shifts taking place in my business and life. And so this is a great conversation. Well, we had such a great first segment to our conversation where we talked about a lot of different things, including how you started in real estate, your successes, how you've translated those successes into speaking and writing and podcasting about the methodology that you developed, which is the five-minute success methodology. Um, And as part of that conversation, I'd love to shift and talk for a moment about something that I think is incredibly important across a number of different professions, and that is client service. And I would love to hear more about how client service ties into your methodology, as well as any advice that you have for listeners about ways to meaningfully distinguish themselves, both from a client service perspective, as well as when it comes to closing a deal. Well, this is a key aspect, and I call this under the five-minute success methodology, the consult to sell. So you have a customer or client you're working with, It can also be a way to do the commit to get leads, to do the the business development prospecting lead generation, but it mostly follows into the second component, and that is market knowledge or knowledge of whatever it is, is is your profession, because truly being a thought leader in your industry is going to attract just from that perspective. I think about Barbara Corcoran, and early on, she wrote the Corcoran Report, and then became very well known for the Corcoran Report, Mm -hmm. and led her being one of the top 
realtors in New York City, and I do something similar in our market area. I've done a quarterly market study for a market area for for quite some time, years and years and years. That market knowledge takes place by actually getting what I call feet on the street. <laughs> I find that there is a lot of data that's available, and I think that it's amazing the level of data that's available, but there is something about actually being at the properties, being at the real estate that makes a difference. And so that is one of the key aspects of, of being able to be smart, if you will, about the market. It helps you can stay one step ahead. So Wayne Gretzky said to skate, he skates where the puck is going. I say, well, I, I'm going to where the market is going. I'm always moving towards in that direction. And it's not 100% possible for anybody to predict the future of the market. But if you stay very you know, current on the market trends, you're, you're going to feel it quicker or sooner, or you're going to be able to respond in a, in a more proactive manner. And so staying one step ahead of the market is, I believe, the professional's job or just staying one step ahead of the industry, always looking ahead to what, you know, is coming out in technology and best practices and all of that. I think that's the responsibility of the professional. And then one of the other key aspects to all this is this checklist. There's a book called Checklist Manifesto that was written by a surgeon. And in the medical field, yes, there's life and death. In the legal field, as with the real estate industry, I mean, we're managing people's lives or just financial transaction in most cases. And so checklists really do allow for service at a very high level because the things that are routine, the things that are pretty standardized can be done but you know they're done. At the same time, it leaves more space for thinking and creative solutions and the energy to be ahead of the market, right? So I'm, I'm a firm believer of that in, in the combination of those things. So I have a question relating to being a trusted advisor, which I think really ties into client service and facets of this we discussed in our first segment together about the delicate needle that you've got to thread between being there and being empathetic, but also not getting too attached. And so how do you establish yourself as the trusted advisor for your clients, which I would imagine is a critical part of being successful? Yes, and that's true with many sales, but in something as personal as people's homes, and as large as the financial transaction is, big no like, and trust is usually how many people determine who they want to work with. And I find that there, there are several ways to success. And one is that I really do work to keep the business and the personal separate in the sense that Many of my clients are friends and neighbors and relatives and people I go to church with. And so I am pretty clear with them, and they appreciate this, that the transaction is not going to affect our relationship. And so, for example, when I'm at church, I don't talk about real estate because I'm at church to go to church and be in fellowship. And and I am careful about the fiduciary responsibility of people that outside of our team meetings that we do for business is that we don't talk about people out of that environment. And so they, they feel that level of trust. And I also am emotionally, again, am careful to make sure that they know I am there for them 
but that it is their situation and that whatever they decide to do, we will all do what's best for their situation and what they want to do. So I release people if it's not working for them, because I find that if people feel like they have that, that freedom, then they are let down a lot of times the resistance of what they often worry about is that it's going to impact their, your relationship. Somebody's going to find out <laughs> what's going on and, or you're not going to be able to separate the, uh, the personal from the business. So let's talk about another facet of what makes people successful, particularly like those of us who sell services. If you were just based on what you know and you've experienced coupled with the podcasting and your writing and your speaking and your consulting with people and, and, and advising them, what do you think are some of the factors that lead to people perhaps being very effective professionally, but when it comes to closing the deal, they get stopped? What do you think are the biggest things that stop people from being able to close a deal? I find that it's the challenging conversations and or fierce conversations or the point where you have to help people move to make decisions that aren't and, and even easy decisions sometimes are hard for people to do. So that's where as a change agent, I live into the fact that they asked me to help them sell their house. And I'll have to say it's harder with selling than buying. People who buy, they're moving into a future. And they're usually moving into a positive future. People who are selling, they're, they're, there's this endowment effect of letting go and releasing what they have. And that is a harder thing to do. And there's, along with the endowment effect, they get emotionally attached and can be financially attached too to outcomes. People that are buying are not usually attached to the outcome until they actually close. So you have more ability to help them navigate that. So I live into the fact that they asked me to help them sell their house. And so I'm going to be honest with people. And I usually will say that. Are you, do you want me to tell you the truth? Do you want me to be a truth teller? Because I can tell you what you want to hear. But if I tell you what the market is actually saying and how it's responding and what needs to happen in order to make this move happen, then I need to know that because if, if you don't want to do this, then I mean, I sell lots of houses. I don't, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this because you asked me to help you through this process. And so when I came to that realization that people want people like that, that can help them do that while at the same time, giving them permission to release them with no penalty, if you will, then they, then they can embrace it usually uh, there are some people that still can't do it and you can't make people. I'm telling you, it, you, you create the environment, but you can't make them, but you have to be willing to have those conversations. I think part of that came out of living through the, the market correction because I started in residential in 02 and I watched it rise rapidly. And then I saw it, you know, flatten and then correct along with the rest of the United States. But I had to have a lot of hard conversations with people about what it would mean and realized the thing is, is that even the financial ones, there's, there's death and there's divorce and there's disability. There's a lot of reasons why downsizing isn't always positive. There's a lot of reasons why people sell and it's almost always, there's a lot of loss associated with it. So we have to be 
I don't want to say comfortable with it, but you have to be willing to do it. And that makes a lot of sense. Why don't we spend a few minutes talking about your books? So one thing that really jumped out at me uh, among a bunch of different things was the 66-day challenge that you talk about in your book, Commit to Get Leads. How does the 66-day challenge work and why should our listeners out there participate? So there's a lot of research on habit formation and there's a lot of data and studies on what it takes to make a habit. But the one on the 66 days is the one that I find to be the stickiest, if you will. And the reason why is because the first 21 to 22 days of a new habit, people tend to be evangelists. So I use the example of you start Peloton, if you will, or you start a Whole30 diet or whatever the diet is you're starting. And you're telling the whole world, right? You're so excited about it. Then what often happens is that second 21 to 22 days or three-week period, people start to evaluate whether they really want to eat that way or whether they really want to get on that bicycle every day. And that's kind of the dip, if you will. And Seth Godin talked about people who power through dips. If the dip is something that they're going through because what they want on the other side is, is to their benefit or what they're trying to achieve are the ones that then start to experience the benefits of it. And that's what happens in the next 22 days frequently. So the 66 days is to be reminder that that's what it typically takes in order to create a habit. Now, the fact of the matter is, is if it's a habit, then that means it's, it's not going to stop at 66 days. So it's to create and, and establish a habit. And, and James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habits, he talks about this and he basically says, it's just like brushing your teeth. You don't stop just because you've got the habit in place. You continue it. But the idea is to get people jump started into habit formation, the 66 days really works well. And that's out of the power of habit by Charles Duhigg is where that, that research is written up about if people want to know more. It's also easy to remember, right? I mean, 66 days is you know, Route 66, it has a, that stickiness as well. But that's why 66 days. And so if you take a challenge, then you're more likely to commit to it, right? And then if you stick with the 66 days, you're more likely to establish a habit. That sounds terrific. I really can't wait to jump into that and I'll let you know how it goes. So while we talk about your latest book, Flip Time, Love Life, which we actually talked about briefly in our last segment, What is it about and why should our listeners read it? So this happens for many people. They achieve a certain level of success and then they look around and go, so what? I mean, what else is there? (laughs) This is it. And some people, it's a midlife crisis. Some people, it's a quarter life crisis. Some people, it's different points in their life. And I believe that it's because of the idea of Abraham Maslow and the hierarchy of needs. And many people have this belief that you're supposed to do your, the lower level needs first, right? You're supposed to do the physical needs and then your, your security needs or safety needs. And then you've got relational needs and esteem needs. And then you start working on self-actualization. And what happens is a lot of people run out of time. And so they don't get to self-actualization. And then that's why they don't feel like there's any meaning in their life. So the idea of flip time is to flip the pyramid, to make a, complete paradigm shift, if you will. 
and, and start with self-actualization. And the beauty of that is, is it actually improves everything else. Because if you, I find myself included that if you're living at your highest and best self, your zone of genius, you're living in flow, you know, meaningful work, if you're doing what you're created to do, then your relationships are going to be better. You're going to feel better about yourself. So you're going to have higher self-esteem. Actually will be more productive because you will be doing work that you were designed to do. And that means that all your physical needs are going to be taken care of. So the story of Flip Time Love Life is in a heroine's journey. And I don't know if you're familiar with the research by Joseph Campbell of the hero's journey, but I wrote one for the female journey and that's the heroine's journey. And it's in a, a fable or a tale because I wanted it to be about, it, it's not a uncommon that people go through this, this heroine's journey. In fact, it's very common, this call to adventure and, and to show that what could take place as you flip time to love the life you have as you create and co-create the life of your dreams. Well, that sounds amazing. And um, I will get back to you once I've had a chance to read that one as well, but it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You mentioned that sometimes these things sort of show up as quarter life crisis or midlife crisis, but I do think a lot of our listeners can relate to, you know, kind of wondering, you know, is this all there is and what do you do about it so that you can fit everything that you love and you're passionate about into a finite period of time. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to, to reading that. So switching gears a little bit, um, you have had and continue to have an amazing career. You are doing a lot of very meaningful and important thought leadership I would love to hear any interesting anecdotes that you might have, uh, either stories that may have a good ending and maybe some with not such a good ending that you think our listeners would find interesting and thoughtful as, as they sort of, you know, think about what we're talking about and, and they're moving forward. You know, would love to hear just anecdotes about how our listeners and others can be their best selves and be most effective in their personal and professional lives. So it's interesting that the stories that seem to resonate the most with people where is where there's like an epic fail, right? I mean, right. <laughs> so like, but, it, but actually, it turns out on, in almost every case, that's where the transformation takes place, right? And so and again, that's what a heroine's journey is, is that there's some sort of event that happens, it's either external or internal, and then you leave on your call to adventure and you leave your ordinary life, you leave the comfort zone, and then you go through transformational leaps. And then you let go of the past, you embrace a new future, and you come back with treasures. And so I would say this is, this is why people remember stories, why stories resonate, is because what comes out of that if you will, lessons learned has more of an impact in a story format. And so I'll tell you about how the Flip Time Love Life came about. I'm in a mastermind group with Hal Elrod and John Berghoff. Hal is the author of The Miracle Morning. And we were, all of the participants were to deliver a TEDx type talk. And then it was going to be voted on by our small group. And then we would be like voted up, if you will. And then the people that presented at the August event would then be the ones 
that would present in December at the main event of 500 people. And so I had a talk that now I look back and I go, I see why I was voted off the island. <laughs> it was really bad. So I, I left a little bit dejected, like, okay, I guess I'm not meant to do this. This isn't my thing. TEDx is not my thing. Or speaking in front of large groups like this is not my thing. And so I'm in a smaller group with a women's coach and I was at a retreat with her and somebody else said, oh no, that means that's what you're supposed to do. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what? No, 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 no. This is not my calling. And they go, oh, yeah, it is. What you resist persists. And I'm like, after a few minutes, I've learned to not resist as much because they, they're right. What you resist persists. And so I was like, you're right. I'm going to do this. So I found a TEDx open mic to sign up for. And I, I got a slot. And then I got a coach, a speaking coach. And she and I, it was really a powerful experience having her help write the signature talk. And it's my story, but it was writing in a compelling way. And so then I, I learned it. I presented it a lot, which you're supposed to do, and had it taped and kept sending it to her. And she kept reviewing and making recommendations, had several epic fails, you know, where I just totally lost my place. And so I was like, okay, I, I delivered the TEDx open mic. And I'm like, I'm good. I did it. Okay, that one's checked off. And so then I get contacted by the organizers of this event in, in San Diego in December. And they said, a week in advance, they said, we'd like you to be one of the speakers. And I'm like, no, I was voted off the island. You forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, no, we think you're it. And I was like, you're not going to believe this. But I went and got a speaking coach and wrote a signature talk and did a TEDx open mic. And they said, that's perfect. That's the one we want you to do. And so it was the most amazing experience because I felt like I was in my, my tribe, if you will, and one of the best talks I've ever given and had such a resounding response on it that that's what led to writing the book, Flip Time, Love Life. It made that much of an impact on me. But the amazing thing is, is that was what was mine to do, right? And so I could have let it stop me. And I know that there's out there people out there that are saying, yeah, I would have stopped me too. And I almost did until somebody held me accountable to me being my best self. And I, in terms of looking forward in my life, which at my age is likely to be a shorter term than what I've passed, regret is, is something that I do not want. So I would rather know that I, you know, went all in and did everything I could and live of the fullest life that I am capable of living. And that and that's just an example of doing that, even though it was it was very uncomfortable and challenging and I had some moments of self-doubt, as many people do. Um, but when I powered through it, that's where the so it that that story actually has a, a, a not so good ending in it, <laughs> a good ending. But the reason why it is a good ending is that I didn't let it stop with the not so good. Well, you know, you're pretty fearless. You've done some amazing things and I and I'm sure our listeners expect you to continue on this amazing trajectory that you're on. Notwithstanding the fearlessness and how brave you are though, I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear if there's anything that keeps you up at night. So I will confess, there used to be a lot of things that kept me up at night before I had checklists. <laughs> and so we just have really very um, 
thorough checklist. And so I, I, and I have a great staff and team and systems, which really has minimized a lot of the staying up at night and that in meditation. Because I found that if I let those things get into my head, I'm really not going to be effective the next day. So I've learned to release them and that I, every day I know I did my best. In the morning, I will get up and do my best again and give it my all. Uh, but, but at night, I need to sleep and I need my rest. And so I, again, would encourage your listeners, I can't say I did this early in my career. I've, I did have a lot of sleepless nights where I was constantly worried but now I've, I've learned to release those while at the same time putting into place the things that are more likely to assure that they don't happen. So you've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot. What, if anything, surprises you these days about what you do, about the climate in which you do it? Is there anything that you find surprising? I still find it surprising and, and yet it is a human phenomenon, and so I probably shouldn't find it surprising, how people can look at their situation and feel like they're the only ones. And I'm talking about smart people. I'm talking about people who are attorneys or in professions that you would think would be smarter than that, but they see their own situation differently. Again, it goes back to the endowment effect that it surprises me because I would think intellect would override that. And it's not the case. Emotion overrides it. It's that people make emotional decisions and then they, they, they'll come to an agreement with it based on the intellect, but they, they first make an emotional decision. And that still surprises me. I, I find that when people can separate it, that's when I find they make the best decisions. And I have worked on learning that myself, because that's where I find that people often are challenged with their, their core decisions that they're making. The other part of that is, is that it, it amazes me continuously that people who maybe have bought and sold five houses their entire lifetime don't want to listen to somebody who sells, you know, a hundred of them a year. <laughs> well, like, and, and, and it's different too. Like I'm, I, I, one of the first things I almost always say to people is when was the last time you bought or sold a house? Because if it hasn't been in the last two years, it's completely changed. That's how fast the business is changing. And so that surprises me too still that people have this thought that it's going to be like it was before or that they, because there's a lot of information available. And I mentioned that earlier, the internet provides a lot of information, which but to me, it's like trying to diagnose yourself on WebMD instead of going to a doctor or, you know, Googling it and thinking that you don't need a lawyer. It just amazes me that people feel that way. But then a lot of people do. That surprises me. <laughs> Smart people. <laughs> I'm telling you, people that are very educated. Well, yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. And I'm sort of in the process of dealing with a potential home purchase myself, which we will get into it at another time, but I can tell you that after having gone through this process once before, it was about 15, 16 years ago, it has completely changed. I mean, I'm sure that you would tell me that it's changed probably 20 times over since yes. I did it you know, that, that long ago. 
but the information that's available. And I guess, you know, looking at it through the lens of someone who had been a real estate lawyer, like I was at the beginning of my career for a couple of years, it's amazing the information that's available, but it's also amazing the level of misinformation you can find on the internet, for example, about just the value of a particular property and what a big delta there is between what one source says the value of a property is versus another. And you have to ask yourself what, you know, on what basis are they even making these judgments to begin with? I mean, how do they even know what the improvements have been, particularly if it's not something that you can readily pull by way of a permit or otherwise, you know, so it's just very interesting how much information is available, how properties have their own websites now. You can take virtual tours and stuff like that, but you still need lawyers, huh? Well, and I would say you still need real estate agents. And the reason why is it's, it's the discerning. Exactly. I mean, I tell people finding the property is not the work. And it's the discerning of the value and what you can negotiate to, for the purchase price and all the other terms of the property or the, and then taking it through that process because just having it even in our contract doesn't mean it's going to go to settlement. So I, I think all of that is where the value add is. And that's why I was like, finding the property is actually pretty easy these days. It's all the other, it's a discernment thing because it's almost too much information. It really is. It's tsunami like. So what's next for you? You've got so many wonderful things going on. You're incredibly successful. You've got a wonderful outlook on life. You're, you're inspiring. What do you hope for yourself and wish for yourself, both professionally and personally? Well, thank you for asking that because I would like to know that too. If anybody else has this <laughs> idea. So I do have one other project, kind of a passion project, and that's what I call 80 by 80. And it's challenges for life, milestones and medals. And the idea is if you were to gain everything and, and lose your health, then I mean, health is the greatest wealth, right? And so the idea is to set up these challenges for life for it could be events, and that's where the medals is, where you could, you know, do a triathlon or any kind of race, but also milestones. So the idea is to, like I hiked Machu Picchu with my son, these kind of opportunities that are movement-oriented, so that's why it's 80 by 80 movement, movement-oriented to encourage people to complete 80 of them by the time they turn 80. So the website, 80 by 80, it's 80 and then X, 80 movement, is another one of my passion projects to get people excited about taking on these challenges for life so that they'll live a full and healthy life and an active life. Well, that sounds really amazing. I'm sure that our listeners will, will check that out. It's hard to believe, but our time together is up. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners and where can they find you? Yes, I do. And that is, if I can do it, you can too. And start today. Everybody has a call to adventure, your heroine's journey or a hero's journey. And I would encourage you to, to take on the challenges for life as well. The best way to reach me is at the website, which is the number five minute success. You can find all of that there. The books are available on Amazon or wherever books are sold real estate success in five minutes a day, commit to get lead 66 day challenge and flip time, love life. And then of course, across all the social media channels, Facebook and 
LinkedIn and Instagram and that. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed our conversation and look forward to doing it again soon. And I as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Karen Briscoe and that you will join us for next week's show. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.